Welcome to episode 84C. Today, Dr. Debbie Zakarian interviews Dr. Katie Topple, Dr. Carol Salva, and I on how teachers can take charge of their own professional learning. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Every cloud has. Every time Carol, Katie, and I sat down to write this book, we thought about you. We thought about how some of you have to pay for your own professional learning experiences from your own salary, or how you were required to attend workshops that were not relevant to your work. We felt your frustration, and we feel the pressures placed on you and your family when you leave to attend a workshop many states away. It always felt like professional learning was something done to you instead of by you. In this podcast, Carol, Katie, and I provide ways for you to design your own professional learning journey. Now, on to today's podcast. I am so delighted to be with the three authors of a book that I am so excited to talk about and talk with the authors about DIY PD. If you notice, I put all these post-its in this book because I think this book should be in the hands of anyone who works with multilingual learners. It is a brilliant book and it's written by Katie Topple, Tan Hyun, and Carol Salva, who I am so delighted to meet with. And to get us started, I'd love to know what were the seeds of this book? So if I might ask one of you or all of you, how did this book come about and why DIY? Well, first of all, Debbie, uh, Dr. Debbie Zakarian, thank you for gracing our podcast. We are so honored to have you. When you said, hey, when your book comes out, I would love to interview you. We're like, yes, definitely. <laughs> we don't have to have to think twice. So. We, we could think of no one who's more humble and gracious and gentle in the way you uh, interview people. So thank you. Uh, the way we started was this book was not actually intended to be DIY uh, uh, at all. It was actually meant to be a book about literacy for with Valentina. So I asked Valentina to write a book with me. And at the time she was like, oh, okay, great. But she, I didn't know she was writing her book at that time. And then, because we were gonna do a secondary and an uh, elementary school combined book. And then she's like, I can't do this. I can't, I can't, too many projects. And I said, oh, okay, not a problem. She, she humbly bowed out and I was like, Katie Topple, hey, do you wanna write a book together? And she's like, okay, let's do it. And I said, Katie, what do you wanna write about? And I'm like, well, we can write about the book chat. I was like, oh, that was a different idea than I was thinking about. And then we're like, okay, yeah, let's write about it. And we're like, wait, if we're writing about 
how to take charge of your own professional learning, let's get, let's get Carolyn to join us. We're like, of course, let's get Carol to join us. And so that's how we all came together. It was uh, the path takes lots of curves uh, and, and lots of turns, and yet we, are, we ended up together. That's wonderful. So you had another idea, and then the three of you crystallized this idea, right? You know, that's so interesting because years ago, I wrote a book with Judy Haynes and the original book that we wrote, which is called, and this was way before the internet was so popular. So not that I want to age myself, but it wasn't that popular. And Judy was, had founded a site called Everything ESL. We were both writing for TESOL and uh, there was another writer, Jim Hughes, and we all wanted to write together. And we thought it would be great to write about creating a mistake-safe culture if you're a, a teacher. So we pitched the idea to a publisher and the publisher wanted us to make changes, which Jim didn't want to make. So Judy and I went off and wrote this other book. So it sounds like you, you this book came about through, organically, right? And um, you all knew one another before. How did you all meet? You're all from different parts of the world. Tan, you're in Thailand? Yes, I'm Carol's in, in Houston, uh, and Katie's in Oregon. You're all in different places. How, uh, with COVID and all, how, have, how did you all meet? How have you all worked together? Have you met together physically? Or is this, how has this come about? Katie, mm -hmm. do you want to speak to that? You're like mm -hmm. the PLN queen. So. We met on Twitter. That's how it happened. I remember being a mom with young kiddos and I discovered um, ELL chat, the live chat, and I would want to participate, but the timing in my time zone, it was dinner time. And so the few occasions where I really tried to engage kind of threw me off in, in my parenting because the timing just didn't work. And what I really started to want is an opportunity to participate in something like that with the flexibility to do it when I had free time. And at one point in time, I tweeted about a book I was going to read and I had connected with Tan through just talking about multilingual learners on Twitter. Um, and Tan kind of said, let's read the book at the same time and tweet about it. And that literally was the seed for the book chat but also the seed for that idea of you can access such wonderful things via social media in ways that are more flexible and convenient and driven by your own personal interests and needs as an educator. Um, and the first time I met Carol was at a Texas TESOL conference. We shared a hotel room the first time we met. That's how generous Carol is. Let's be uh, clear. We, we had been friends. Yes, we for were. a long time. <laughs> this sounds just like a T-Saw story, really. Right? But, but <laughs> yes. That's how many kind of connections happen. They happen on Twitter. And then at professional conferences, that's when you meet people for the first time. But you're already friends. You already know each other and have that deeper connection because of the frequency of the exchanges on mostly through Twitter, but I would say social media in general, there's opportunities on Instagram and Facebook and other places as well to connect. And we had, we had connected so much uh, around tweets and book chats and things that 
like Katie and I would direct message each other. And there were times when she and I were talking over Skype or, you know, back then, whatever it was, where I was in her home. I could see her kids running around the back, you you know, she's about to get dinner ready. So I know it sounds sketchy, like this is just an internet person, but it's not, it's your friend that you are on a personal level talking with, exchanging with, you become some of your PLN, Derek Rodenizer calls it your power PLN, which is like your your smaller, um, your go-to people, you get up, you're following their tweets um, specifically, or over on Facebook, we have uh, Valentina Gonzalez has created that advocating for ELLs and Pam Broussard, both of them also leaders in the field for sharing about English learners. Hers is leading ELLs. There are so many people that regularly share there and teachers find community and support there for what they're doing. This was so powerful for me because I was put back in the classroom with a demographic, these students were SIFE and they didn't speak Spanish. I know we're in Houston, we have a lot of newcomers, but they were kiddos being resettled from all places in Africa and no one else in my physical space um, could really give me advice because they hadn't done that either. And you feel like you're in a silo and you're the only one, even among the EL teachers. But as soon as I got out there on Twitter, I found there are so many people in the world doing what I'm doing and they're sharing. I, I immediately found Tan's videos, his blog, where he's showing what he's doing with kids. I stumbled upon Katie. I mean, these are people that regularly share. And so you want to be following them. It was, it transformed everything uh, about what I was doing and how I learned. You know, you bring up a lot. Like I know when I started, I would ask, I thought I was doing a lot by going to the neighboring communities to find out how they did it. I went to neighboring cities. I traveled around my state because I was working with a lot of SIFE uh, students who'd gone through a civil crisis. And so for me, it was, you know, meeting with schools face to face, but the power that you're speaking of, of these internet connections that you've made is so wonderful. It's like you're taking advantage of uh, all that seems to be offered asynchronistically, which uh, Katie mentioned. And that's what I want to ask you about too. What, when you, how did you organize the book and how did you um, sort of coalesce all these ideas into the, um, the way that the book is organized? Maybe one of you could speak to that. We actually, when we started the book project um, and we pitched it to Sidelets, we knew we wanted it to be a Sidelets book because we had read Carol's Boosting Achievement as one of our um, our rounds in the book chat. And that when I, I remember opening that book and it took my breath away, I had never seen a book that was so colorful and beautiful with so many pictures. And I mean, it was far from your typical kind of textbook education book, it just absolutely phenomenal. So when we kind of started to picture what this book would look like, we immediately thought this needs to be a sidelets book because it needs to have that that beauty and that like that level of um, visual to it. Um, we met in Texas when we started to plan out the outline of the book. That was the one time that we were together in this entire project was at the very beginning. And we just had a brainstorm session with the Sidelets team. And we kind of are 
I guess, language teacher nerdiness came out in thinking, well, everything that we do as teachers focuses on these four language domains. And that's really, we wanna make sure that students, we talk about swirling, we wanna make sure that they're speaking, they're writing, they're reading and they're listening. And that kind of became our organization and how we structured the different avenues of professional learning that there's, um, we initially called it receptive and then change that to be interpretive, to give it a little bit more of an active thinking um, terminology. So there's interpretive, and then there's expressive professional learning, and there's interactive professional learning. And then there's so many ways to layer those things together, which in an ideal lesson, we want students to swirl. We want them to engage in all of those language domains. And then we also feature some really key action verbs in each section, just to really orient the reader to the fact that you're you're taking control and you're really in charge of your learning and you're the one that gets to make the choices and the decisions. So it's really, um, it is very action oriented. So those verbs really speak to that um, and kind of support the learner to know what, what they can do. Yes, absolutely. I noticed that right away. And I really appreciated that because you give a lot of examples and I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about not just how you organized it with these beautiful action, how one can take action, which is great, and where to go and how to go about doing that. Who's the audience for the book? Who do you hope will read this? Um, beside you three, you wrote this. Who are you hoping that your audience is? I can, um, I, I, like I said before, the, the world changed when I found an opportunity to get professional development. I didn't think about it like that. I was just like, help, you know, just to help. And my world changed when I found this help that had been around me all along. I just wasn't aware of it. So often we would talk like, okay, is this accessible? Is this, but is this what you would really do when we were writing the book? But is this something that's, that's realistic? And I, we would have in mind a teacher in a school district that has no funds for deve professional development. No one, they may be the only person working with multilingual learners and they're not really tech savvy, let's say, you know, let's think of our most marginalized teacher that probably needs the professional development the most. And so if it's accessible for that teacher, if there are things within that book that they could immediately use tomorrow, well, that would be a win. I, I often had that teacher in mind, but then our professional learning community, who's like over the top engaged, which Debbie, I would include you in that, right? Like we just did your Beyond Crisis book and you're so engaged out there, even though you're the author. So the person who has the most, uh, you know, you could call it your high flyer in your class has a lot of knowledge. Is it accessible and can it extend that person also? Can it be personalized enough? So, so that's kind of what we want in our classrooms too, right? We have a student come in who already knows the science and a student who's never been in a science classroom and doesn't know the language. Can we create an experience where it's personalized enough that it, the audience, you know, it's good for both. We kept coming back to that, even though this is, there are just so many parallels uh, to how we teach than how we can use this book. 
And so, yeah, so I, I still, what I hear you saying is this book is written for teachers for sure <laughs> uh, <laughs> to engage uh, sort of in their own time when they have time to read this book, learn about great ideas, whether you're new to the field, a veteran of the field, an academic, a scholar, it's, there's a, something in it, which I found, I've been in the field for many years and I've written many books and I found this book very accessible. And I learned a lot reading the book where you, you don't just mention um, what's out there. You give us direct links. You have a lot of QRG codes, a lot of professional organizations. Um, you mention many sites in addition to the Twitter famous MLL book chat. You mentioned quite a few other sites that folks can go to and what they can get. And what's wonderful about it is you show pictures and photos of what you've all gained from using these various sites. And I, I also noticed you use a lot of strategies about doing DIY, DIY. And one of them that I thought was really grabbed my attention was, Tan, you wrote about when you were at Dickinson, there was this activity called toilet paper, I think, a bathroom activity, which I just thought was so funny reading that in a professional book for educators. <laughs> so I'm wondering if you could speak to that. What is that? You, there are a lot of seeds for that thinking, and I'm wondering if you could share that. Right. So that is part of, so when I was at Dickinson College, it was from the Business and Career Counseling Office, and they wanted to get students' attention. That was before social media. And so, well, students, everyone, they go to the bathroom. And so the admissions, so the business people had, instead of newsletters, they would email people out, they would just print out a size A3 paper, and they would have like, announcements, internships, jobs, like congratulations. And they, they would stick it in the bathroom. And every week I would go to the bathroom and be like, oh, here is another one. And then when I went and when I worked in Lao and Beijing International School, I was like, you know what? I only work with a few teachers and I want to share these strategies with everyone. Well, what can I do? Oh, wait, let me go back to the toilet paper idea from Dickinson College. And so I just made one. I made a series of like str one strategy per week. I just put it up in all the bathrooms, the faculty bathroom, and then I tweeted about it. And then now people are doing it in their own schools, in their own, in different countries. Like I was in a conference in Thailand and someone's like, oh yeah, my school's in Indonesia and we're creating our own for our school. And I was like, what? And there are so many schools around the, uh, in the US that do that too. And so it's not about, um, it's a concept of sharing something that has been working and then saying, now take it and create it for your own context. And so I'm just so honored that people are taking it, creating their own versions of bathroom briefs and putting it all over and sharing it so that everyone realizes that they are responsible for multilinguals as well, not just the language specialists. And one more thing I have to add, uh, we kept talking about you. Thank you for talking about how beautiful the book is. And so there are three people who are now on the podcast who we have to like thank with all our heart. And that's uh, John Seidlitz, the CEO. Uh, he was the one who supported our idea. And then he teamed up with Meg, Meg White. And she's like the, like the 
like another organizer in the in the in the publishing company, and then there's Anna Mattis, and which so she, she's another she's like a lead coordinator. Without their help, they they basically should have put their names on the book as well. That's what. It would uh, well, I think uh, so. This book is the product of many hands coming together to create this masterpiece. I, I appreciate that. Um, do you mind going to the first chapter where you talk about the five C's? I thought I just found that very interesting because, and you also mentioned that, you know, a lot of professional development that educators engage in hasn't been very effective. You know, teachers might be mandated to go to a professional development session. We all know what that's like. And, and uh, you talk about, you know, using a specific tool and these five C's seem to relate well to that. Can you explain a bit about that, how uh, that came about and what you'd like to share? I think it really comes from collectively what we find to be lacking. So there's professional development that's needed that might be one size fits all or everyone gets because there are needs for teachers and educators to have information and to understand systems, to understand curricula, all of those things. And there's professional development that really fills your cup. And that's what is meeting your specific need. Um, that's the professional, professional learning that comes from your own self-reflection and self-evaluation of how you might need to grow as an educator or what you really are passionate about learning. And that's, that's the angle we're coming from. And the five C's connect to things where we saw barriers and there are instances like we talk about a professional conference. Going to a professional conference is an amazing opportunity. It's invigorating, I, it fills my cup and it's expensive and it can require leaving work and missing days, which for an educator is hard, then you have to write sub plans. You might have to be away from your family, things like that. So we thought, well, what could what avenues could we have that kind of break down some of those walls or barriers to make things more readily available, more flexible? Um, choice is one of those very important C's. When we have something that is assigned to us, there's a certain way we feel about it. And maybe it's beneficial. Lots of professional learning is beneficial. When we can choose what avenue or what course or what topic, it makes us all that much more excited to engage in that learning, which is likely then results in something that's more productive and more effective for ourselves and for our students. The so other this, one, yes, oh, go I was gonna say the other one is continuity. We know that when there's, we call it one and done, when something happens and then there's really no follow through or you learn something great and then you go back to the real life of your job where you're very, very busy. This year in particular and last year just feels very, very busy. There's so much on educators' plates. It's likely that you can learn something really interesting or worthwhile, and then you don't implement it to the most, to the greatest capacity or as well as you could because there's just other things getting in the way. You don't get a reminder about it. You don't have an opportunity to reflect on it. So that continuity where you're continuously learning and revisiting things is super important for that professional learning to really continue to grow and be effective. Yeah, so what tool are you using to kind of help guide educators 
to use, uh, you know, the sense of how would you evaluate the self-directed experience that you're doing? How do you know it's working? Yeah, that's so we took the five C's and then we made it into a scale. And then so people could see like choice. Okay. On one side of the scale, it's like free. And in the other side of the scale, it's like self-paid, right? Or paid for. And so people can think about, okay, so this website, this webinar, oh, this webinar is free. I don't have to pay for it. Or, oh, this is a webinar course. I have to pay for it. And so, so people can move along that continuum and move back and forth and they can evaluate. Am I, if this is uh, do it yourself and am I all paying for this? Is it all me or is it like there's a mixture of that? And so that's a way for teachers to uh, turn up things and turn down things as they need to fit their context. Carol, do you want to add? It looks like you might want to add to that. I just loved it because the different, the different C is we keep coming back to that. So there is cost, like he just mentioned, choice, continuity, community, connectedness, and they're all important to really to everyone to different degrees, to different degrees. I may have more budget this year. I may have more personal budget or I may have zero. So I might need to look at things that are lower in cost, but higher in community or higher, you know, I can find things that allow me that have more continuity that are going to let me, you know, spiral my learning throughout the year. So being able to reflect, we know that reflecting on anything helps personalize your journey of learning. So I love that we have that within the book to look at so so that you can personalize, okay, what is something you want to do? You could try it out. You could try some of these things or something else you're doing and look at it against this scale and compare it for your own needs. How much are you getting out of this? Um, It's just, it's a reflective tool that I think is, is important for all of us to personalize what we're doing. Yeah, exactly. And then you talk about, um, you know, how you mentioned uh, before how you really wanted the book to be targeted for that teacher that's isolated, feeling marginalized and doesn't have much context, all the way to someone who's got a lot of people that, you know, are right there to work with. Can you, uh, you know, explain how you might want people to use the book or, you know, give us some examples of how um, a teacher in the field who might be isolated or feel disconnected might use the book and uh, feel they're getting a quality learning experience from using their own self-directed experience with it. I think that the idea is, and there's flexibility in use because we also would love for administrators to use this book to rethink opportunities that they structure and provide for their staff for professional learning. Instructional coaches can use this book to get ideas and just that element of choice and the idea that there are so many different ways to learn and find valuable resources. It's kind of the first step is to take it all in and then to do that reflective process of how do I like to learn? We know that the research on learning styles has been kind of refuted and it's it's not, it's not there yet. I know I have preferred ways that I learn. I really like to read. So that's where I'm going to start. 
Everybody has kind of ways that they like to learn, but then we show that development of, it's not just about reading the article, but you can add a benefit if you read the article and then you get together with colleagues and you discuss it. Or you read an article and you do a sketch note to kind of jot down and reflect on the key points to help you remember. I know my memory is terrible. I think I say that in the book. It really helps me to draw something out. I read a lot of books and when I make a sketch note and I can revisit the key points from that particular text, it's really helpful. And it's another avenue that I can then share with others. If I read a book and do a sketch note and tweet it out, there's probably a lot of other people who will look at that and either one, learn from the sketch note itself or two, think, oh, that's a book I would like to read. And then it extends their learning. And so the layering together, which is one of our chapters, is how can you really maximize your learning by putting different pieces together to create your own path where you really feel like you're maximizing what you're learning? And of course, that interaction piece and connecting with others is a really key component because that's how we came together is through connecting with each other and learning from each other. Because it's one thing to have your own personalized journey, and it's another thing to reciprocally benefit from all of the other amazing people that you connect with, because then you are kind of privy to each other's learning, and there's just so much sharing. Carol mentioned that before. We all learn independently, and we all share, which really just layer upon layer upon layer of what we, we access and learn collectively. That's that hashtag better together. We're better together because we each bring our own context. I've never taught at an international school. I've never taught high school, but knowing Tan and Carol and hearing their reflections and experiences gives me insight into other instructional contexts. And I can also find other educators who also teach multilingual learners in kindergarten or in really primary grades. So there's that kind of that dual benefit of finding those really like you in your same context and also learning from others who have something, a totally different context, but that really adds other layers to your learning as well. Yeah, I really appreciated that, you know, how the book is organized around language domains. And when you, uh, there are many sections where you talk about how when you listen to something and you take notes, there are so many ways to take notes. And you mention uh, many different ways in the book. And you, like you just said, I might not remember what I read. And I'm wondering in the book, you talk about different ways to take notes. Do you mind sharing some of those? I, I've noticed a big shift in the way we take notes. You know, when many of us went to school, it was learn how to outline. And yours is so, so distinct and really represents more the current thinking. And I'm really excited to hear what you have to say about that. Katie, I'll let you share sure. a little bit about it. One of the ways we talk about is doing sketch notes. And I think some people feel intimidated by that because there are many people who have amazing artwork and the sketch notes truly look beautiful. Claribel Gonzalez is one example and her oh, yeah. sketch notes are now being published in, <laughs> in books To And I love that that is now embedded in the actual text, that idea. But really sketch notes are just a way of making some of the concepts visual and it doesn't have to be beautiful. It's the same thing that we would tell students we're teaching this week when we drew our vocabulary words. I told students, it doesn't have to be perfect. It's sketch was actually one of our words, but it's just a sketch. It's quick, but it's that visual tool that actually helps the brain remember. And other people have gone into more digital 
graphics and digital ways to, to show their learning because if that drawing yourself is intimidating, there's lots of icons and there's lots of graphics that you can find to help you put together just a digital reflection. Um, Sherry calls those digi notes. She kind of coined that term. So she's not maybe hand drawing, but she's finding icons and pictures and visuals and putting something together that then one helps her remember, two can easily be shared to other colleagues because not everyone has the drive or desire or time to read a lengthy education text. That's not a reality for everyone. But if really key points can be put together in a visually appealing graphic, that's a wonderful way to learn that is not as time consuming. And it, it might, might, oh, go ahead, Carol. It might, what? No, I want to know. I was going to say it might spark someone's interest to then pick up that book and read all of the research or read really what the author wanted to share in its entirety. So there's that bite-sized piece. And there's also then kind of that, it's like intrigue. It's a little invitation, you know, maybe that you, you want to pick up that book. Yeah. The sharing out there has so many benefits. And she's talking about uh, Sherry Liptak, who is another person who contributed so much to the final product. She helped us through the editing stages. A lot of our PLN did. And um, she shares, and she's sharing now graphics that she's creating DigiNotes from this text. Uh, we, we just appreciate that so much. And so, like you said, Debbie, so if I'm an administrator and I have educators in front of me and I would like to see things happening in their classroom, we all would like to see things happening in our own classroom, in our colleagues' classrooms that best support all students with, and we have a focus on our multilingual learners. That idea that you said that, well, notes, taking notes can look differently now in the classroom. So if I'm an administrator, I would love for my teachers to look at a text like the one we created and get ideas for their own learning that then we would hope to see them try out also with their students. That's just an added benefit. And I wanna lift up administrators because we've already had orders from administrators from school districts to purchase the book for their staff or for their group or as a book study. And that, and that is amazing. That is, we have in every chapter we have, when we say try it out, if you're a teacher, if you're an instructional coach, or if you're an administrator, here are some things you can do to try out this concept in this chapter. So I can't imagine a better gift to give to your, to your staff or the people that work for you than opportunities for them to easily self-direct their learning. Any initiatives that you have going on are gonna go better. It's like if you have a classroom full of motivated learners or learners that are just like complying, there's a huge difference. So we love that. That's yeah, the I really appreciated well. that uh, because some of each of you write about your own journey and how different ideas in the book, which the book is so well organized around that concept of, you know, listening, reflecting, expressing, and analyzing, and so forth. Um, and what I really appreciated was your honesty around how you had some challenges. And the way you addressed it was through this self-directed experience where uh, Katie writes about 
I, I did some journal writing when I, my principal told me I needed to improve my teaching. So I, I really had to think about how you were, you, you expressed some feelings about what the principal suggested. And then you talk about what, how you did on your own, you thought up some ways that would really help you move in the direction the principal was encouraging you to do. And I really appreciated as I read the book, how I, as a, a university faculty person, as an educator, as a coach, all of the strategies and tools that you provide really have a, a capacity for really anyone in the field, no matter where uh, in the schema they are or what they do. I, I really appreciated that. And I appreciated your honesty as you kind of talked about some challenges that you all experienced. Um, even from the start of the book where you talked about how uh, the COVID pandemic rolled out and what that meant for each of you with Tan at the very beginning being in Southeast Asia and what that meant and when that happened. Um, I, you know, I really appreciated the challenges you all expressed and how that didn't stop you from engaging in the writing and utility of this wonderful book. So with that, what, um, where would you suggest, and, and this is for any of you, um, you know, knowing that you've written about your own journey and you have some wonderful memories, um, could we sort of, this is the end of our time together, this wonderful interview, and I'm sure we could go on all day and I would have many more questions about this wonderful book. Um, can you each share a special memory that you have of the opportunity to write this book collaboratively and um, maybe individually what you know a special memory that you have about this book and how you're hoping it's used by anyone in the field so sort of a two-part question a special memory you have of working together and how you hope the book will be used in the future my my special memory is collaborating globally we were only in the same place one time in the entire process of writing the book. And we live in three different time zones. And while we were writing the book was when we were in the beginning of the pandemic, I remember I was, I feel like it was when I was teaching from home and my kids were doing school from home. And some of our, our sessions had me at about a 4 a.m., maybe 4.30 a.m. wake up call because we're trying to make sure that it's daylight hours for everyone. Um, and just off, very often when we would first get in the call, we just talk to each other because this, I'm gonna cry saying this, we have developed such a great friendship in writing this book and it's not, it wasn't just about getting the task done. It was about connecting with other humans who we care so much about and finding out how are you doing this week? What's going on in your life? And so many things were shared across all of the time we work together. And it's just become such a special, a special bond. And to, to then have that meta reflection and think back, this is because of social media that we met on Twitter that we know each other, that we authored a book together, that we had each other to lean on during a pandemic, that we've had other professional endeavors come about and projects that we've collaborated on. 
um, like ML Summit and just extensions of the book chat, all because of connecting on social media. It's, it's really incredible to think about, which clearly I couldn't do without crying. <laughs> I really appreciate that. So this was a powerful experience for you in many ways, right? Yeah. How are you all, you know, how have you found the book is being used lately? Maybe we'll finish with that. Are you, um, can you give an example of where you've seen this amazing DIY, a guide to self-directed learning for educators of multilingual learners being used now? Do you have an example of how anyone or you or people you're working with or online people have shared with you how they're using the book now? I can share about that. I mean, it is fresh off the presses. It is just now being delivered to the people who pre-ordered it. So folks who pre-ordered it have had it in their hands a week or two. And if you go out to Twitter right now, or actually just Google and hashtag DIYPD, the number four MLS, that's the hashtag DIYPD four MLS. If you just click that, you will see people already using it. People are sharing about it. So it is exactly what we're writing about in the book is that there are people who are self-directing their learning. Valentina Gonzalez just did a video yesterday about what her she's currently reading and what she's learning from what she's currently reading. And our book was the first one, thankfully, thank you, Valentina, that she talked about why it was powerful. She said, I didn't think these three could share anymore because they share everything for free, but they shared more. <laughs> and it was, and so she's giving little pieces of it. I always feel like if you have the right hashtag, you can catch the learning. Like, like Katie says, you can catch learning of a conference you didn't get to attend or something. So I know it's being used right like that. Another way that it's already being used is like I said, a client of ours um, just a couple of days ago put in an order to do a book study of one of our books of boosting achievement and also a second order for the follow-up of the DIY PD book. And so what they're going to do is we're going to have a professional development that's going to help everybody with what we're dealing with right now. And then we're going to give you another resource and some learning around how you can extend everything you're learning in anything you're learning. And so that's a, that's a powerful way to use this. It's not about going rogue and not listening to your district anymore. We have a lot of examples about how you can take the PD that you're offered in your district and personalize it and extend it. And if you're an administrator or an instructional coach, how can you offer some of these ideas to the people that you work with? Yeah, um, you definitely do. You have so many rich experiences and uh, tools in here to use to really help extend your thinking about the practice. Anything else you want to add? I want to add that I think what's cool is that people have been doing this before we even named it. So the book contains so many beautiful examples from the PLN and from educators who are the embodiment of what we wrote about. It's not just our ideas. It's honoring so many people who are helping the community and the collective group of educators of MLs move forward in their learning. So it's really cool that we can give examples of the way that some educators really are leading and showing that leadership. We say in the book, being a leader is not the specific role you have. It's just 
what you do in your actions and how you can inspire other people. Um, and there's so much of that. There's so many people who share their innovations and who have done that, um, that innovate piece, that they innovate because when you find that you're not getting what you need, you innovate and that is self-directed learning and it's already Absolutely. happening so much. So this yes, book yes. coming out will hopefully help people name what it is that they're doing. Well, I notice that you, all of the three of you are a very big part of the MLL book chat club on the MLL chat book club on Twitter. And tomorrow, I believe it's going to be, the book will be featured. Am I correct? Are you featuring the book on um, the yeah. Twitter site? Yeah, MLL chat book club round five is featuring our book, which is very exciting. Um, we start on, it officially kicks off on Saturday, November 13th. Wonderful. And we will have a five week book study where we will focus on reading the chapters, engaging with other people, talking about them. There's reflection questions every week. We're also doing a choice board to kind of exemplify what that looks like when people have lots of choices. Um, we're gonna do some giveaways and we're also having a pajama party on Monday the 15th to celebrate <laughs> the, the launch of our our baby, oh, our project. We're so excited. Wait, say that again. You're having a pajama party on when? Monday the 15th. Oh, wow. So a DIY PD guide to self-directed learning pajama party. How wonderful is that? What a great way to end this interview. Although what I wanted to say is on the back of the book, there's a beautiful picture of the three of you and a statement that is wonderful that I wanted to close out with, if you don't mind. Is that okay? We'd love it. It says, in our ever-changing world, it is more important now than ever to feel connected as a global community, a global community of educators working with students who are culturally and linguistically diverse. DIY PD, a guide to self-directed learning for educators of multilingual learners, will offer new teachers and veteran edu bloggers alike a comprehensive array of interpretive, expressive, and interactive activities to support us on our paths and challenge our thinking as we grow together to meet our students' needs in today's changing education landscape. I fully support what you've all masterfully put together. I hope that everyone learns about this book, whether you're a new teacher, a veteran, a professor, a mentor, a coach, an administrator, there is a lot here that's really wonderful. And I hope it's in the hands of everyone. And I am looking forward to posting about this book myself. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to hear firsthand the three of you speak to this powerful book. Thank you so much. Thank you. What an honor, Debbie. We appreciate you so much. You're such a leader in the field. So it's an incredible honor for you to take an interest in the book and to interview us about it. We appreciate you so much. So thank you. In the next episode, we'll return back to our series on 
teacher collaboration. Thank you for listening. I'll see you soon. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play traffic light teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode. You're beautiful.